Peace of Christ be with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church this morning, especially those of you who are visiting with us today. On each one of the pews near the center aisle, there is a black folder. It's our friendship pad, and we'd love to have you fill it out and let us know that you're here with us. You can see the announcements that are going on in the life of our church. Wonderful pictures from last Sunday morning on the front of our connections as we celebrated 100 years of baptism here in our church that has uh, been here for 100 years in Laguna Beach. Uh, also inside, you can see that as if you haven't figured it out yet, that this August our celebration is casual Sundays in the kind of in the memory of when our, our church was young when Pastor Pruitt said, uh, come as you are to church. Even come in your bathing suit. I haven't seen any yet. I have been looking. I was checking out what people had worn. There, we have a few shorts this morning, but I haven't seen any bathing suits yet. I'm not quite that brave. I don't think it's going to happen. But it's casual, a casual August, so mm, we may see it yet. <clears throat> also, the group that has been praying sacred story prayer, we have probably about 50 people who have learned to pray this style of prayer for 15 minutes a day. And we are going to open some new groups of sacred story prayer this fall. If you're interested in learning this way to pray, uh, we would like you to express your interest at the cart out on the patio. We will form the groups around the times that you want them, if we possibly can, rather than just us setting time. So uh, the earlier you express your interest, the more it would help us about that. And that's out at the cart this morning. Also, you can still get to some of the things that are for our anniversary out at the cart. We've got the shirts and the hats and all that swag out there. Uh, there will be a trip to Tumaini Children's Home in Kenya in November. You are invited to find out more about that by contacting Ken Cornelison. Uh, Ken will be leading that trip. And you can see that our men's and women's retreats are announcing their information. The flowers this morning are for a 57th anniversary for Brian and Jackie Pearson, who are in Alaska celebrating that right now. So we congratulate them. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. And the Lord spoke, let there be light. And there was light. Thank you that you have shined your light, the light of your glory into the darkness of our world. Your light is transforming and healing. Your light is a, is a light upon our path. This morning, your light has drawn us to this place. We pray that through the power of your word and spirit, that the light will shine once again in the name of Christ. 
Amen. Will you join me in the responsive call to worship? For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to his disciples, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. So let us stand and praise God together.
our call to confession from 1st Timothy chapter 1. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I receive mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. God, you placed us in the world to be its salt. We, we are, are afraid of committing ourselves, ourselves afraid, afraid of being stained by the world. world. We, we do, do not, not want to hear what they might have, have to say. And, and our, our salt, salt dissolves as if in water. Forgive us, Jesus. God, you placed us in the world to be its light. We, we are afraid of the shadows, afraid of poverty. We do not want to know other people's struggles. And our light slowly fades away. Forgive us, Jesus. God, you placed us in the world to live in community. Thus, you taught us to love to share in life, to struggle for bread and justice, your truth incarnate in our life. Let us now take a minute for personal silent confession. Amen. Together we proclaim, so, so be, be it, it Jesus. Jesus. Amen. God speak. The story we read this morning is one of the most famous stories in the New Testament. 
story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. It is an important story. Luke tells it three times in Acts. And uh, what he had in mind was that we awaken our souls, our minds, our hearts to listen over and over again to a story that is formative not just for Saul, but for the life of the church. So I invite you to read along with me, uh, follow along in Acts chapter 9. It's also told in Paul's own words in uh, Acts 22 and chapter 26 as well. Acts 9.1 Meanwhile, Saul, who had been holding the cloaks of those who, who had stoned Stephen to death and in an agreement with them, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoke this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we read these stories and we are sobered. We are awakened. We come to this place seeing and yet the story this morning questions us as to how we see and whether we understand and whether or not we have received and believed and welcomed the presence of the light into our souls. In this moment, we ask for your light to shine and for the gift of spiritual vision that we, that we may enter just a little bit into the experience of Saul of Tarsus. We ask in your name, Lord. Amen. It was a strange thing in the life of this man in the first century. He left Jerusalem seeing. Working his way up the road from Jerusalem to Damascus, Syria. Along the way he fell to the ground blinded. With eyes open but he could not see. And three days later in Damascus, a man arrives and touches him and scales fall from his eyes and he sees in a totally different way. Two or three weeks ago, Kathy shared our experience on the Golan Heights in Israel. With the Israeli army uh, fortifications above us, we stood looking down into Syria, 45 miles or so from Damascus, hearing the bombs going off. There is a road winding its way through that green valley. It's a pastoral scene in many ways. It's a beautiful little valley, and there's that winding road the same road that 
Saul of Tarsus journeyed from Jerusalem to Damascus. And we need to be reminded that these are not mythological places. These are actual places. It's one of the benefits of going to the Holy Land. We read our Bible and suddenly we, we get to those places and we become aware that these are real places where real events occurred and we enter into this experience in a new way. And the text invites us to use the eyes of our imagination to see that winding road and to journey with Saul of Tarsus. He was one of the most interesting, influential people who ever lived, I think. It was an ancient road that he traveled, but rebuilt by the Romans. And it symbolized in the first century that Greco-Roman world, the empire that surrounded his life. Along the way, there were encampments of Roman legions of soldiers. Rome had conquered the Mediterranean world, and that was the environment that shaped and formed Saul's seeing. He was born, born in Tarsus, what we would call modern Turkey into a very important city. It was a Roman city, which meant to be born in that city gave you Roman citizenship. So Paul was a Roman citizen, and he, and he relied upon that citizenship over and over again in his life and his journeys. In Tarsus, there were temples to the gods and goddesses of the Greco-Roman world. Greek was spoken there. Alexander the Great had spread Greek language and culture and philosophy and worldview around the Mediterranean. So you had this mix within which Saul grew up in Tarsus. The environments in which we grow up shape us. Some people say if you're born and you grow up in Laguna Beach, you'll forever be shaped and formed by the beach culture. And it's true. Some, one psychologist friend of mine said there's something very different with beach kids, Laguna Beach kids, than kids inland. Environment shapes us. And one of the issues that we have to struggle with is how do we hold on to our identity as Christians in an environment that impacts us and seeks to shape and form the way we think and feel and act? This was Saul's problem in Tarsus. He grew up in a Jewish ghetto there. His parents were very Orthodox Jews Perhaps his father was a Pharisee, and the way they were holding on to their Jewish identity, they were building a wall around their community, the wall of the Torah, the law of God that had been taught to young Saul from the time he was a child. You see some of the little Orthodox boys and girls walking around Jerusalem. You might have seen Saul of Tarsus dressed in that way with long hair locks and and black clothing and a black hat, who knows? But his parents quickly understood that this was a precocious child, highly intelligent, 
who needed more than Tarsus could offer in terms of academic, intellectual challenge. So they had a daughter who was living in Jerusalem. And they sent young Saul off to Jerusalem to live with his sister and there to study under the famous Rabbi Gamaliel in the hope that he would be shaped and and formed and deepened in the knowledge of the Word of God, the Torah story, Israel's story, God's story, that would allow him to maintain his identity as he grew into adulthood. Perhaps they discovered, like many of us discovered, that it's a dangerous thing to send our kids away to college. You never know how they're going to come back. You may send them off a Republican and they return a Democrat. Or vice versa. We send our ministerial candidates off to seminary hoping that they will prosper and they'll grow deeper in their faith. They go to places like Fuller and Princeton and Pittsburgh and Duke and other places and we do not know how they will come back. I have had friends whose lives have been shattered by seminary. They lost their faith there. Never ended up in ministry. From time to time, my friend John Huffman and I have lunch together, and we talk about the world, and we philosophize, and we share our experiences about life and ministry from the 1960s up to the present. And I'd be afraid for you to listen in to some of these conversations. He posed the question to me this week, Jerry, if you were to go to seminary again, now if you were just starting, where would you go? I thought for a moment and thought, well, Speaking out of one side of my ego, I might go to Yale or Harvard or Princeton or maybe Duke, maybe Fuller. He teased me a little bit about that. He was wide open, wasn't quite sure where he might go. Then Saturday morning he sends me this email that he had received from one of his friends about a continuing education course being given at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, taught by a local pastor. That'll be, it'll happen in September, I believe. He said, after reading this, you might want to reconsider where you would go to seminary if you were starting again. Because they're offering this continuing education course on how monks brew beer. And they use in the metaphor of fermentation for interpreting the spiritual life. And there are new church developments that are being done in pubs and other places where you can get the benefits of the brew and theologize at the same time. Well, why not go to where the people are anyway? I walk by the marine room on Sunday evening sometimes, try to avoid it if I can. But the noise is loud and the place is jammed 
and people are enjoying their brew and other beverages and dancing and having the time of my life. And I, I thought about that. I bet there's not a church in the country on Sunday evening that could gather that kind of a crowd. Our text tells us that Saul was on his way to Damascus and he was breathing murderous rage. He had approved of the stoning of Stephen. And he had letters from the high priest in Jerusalem to go up to Damascus and round up all the Christians that he could find. They weren't called Christians yet, but they're followers of the way. Believers in the synagogues of Damascus who had chosen to believe that Jesus was their Messiah, Israel's Messiah. And Saul was deeply churning on the inside, upset, threatened. You ever feel that way? Something, someone walks into your life, some new wave comes through the culture, some new political movement, some group that thinks they have more light on some issue, and you wonder how you can live through that time of threat. Paul was... I think perhaps just getting in touch with what was going on in his own heart and how that related to the law of God. He, he was a proud man. He said, I was, uh, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a badge of pride. I was a member of the people of Israel, of, of the tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. One committed totally to the law, to the Ten Commandments. Holding that theological worldview had in many ways limited his vision and formed a strong defense against any light penetrating his soul. And that's the way it can be with us. Even our religious ideologies and theologies and traditions and our political opinions and economic opinions and the cultural voices, these can function as walls, as shields to keep the light out. But inside, Saul was struggling I usually discover in myself that when I am disturbed and agitated and irritated by something or someone or some movement, that that says far more about me than it may say about what is happening out there. And somehow I need to find a way of being opened up for light to shine deeper into my soul for the sake of me seeing and coming to rest and, and peace. Otherwise, these kinds of inner fermentations in our lives 
can lead us to say and think and do things that are destructive of ourselves and others. It's why Jesus said, why is it so easy for you to see the speck that is in your brother or sister's eye and you can't see the log in your own eye? This was the kind of struggle that Saul was in. And so what happened to Saul? What occurred out there on the road to Damascus? He's walking along and he's fine and suddenly a bright light flashes. And he's knocked to the ground. And he can't see. And no doubt he was terrified. And there have been all kinds of explanations for what might have happened. Perhaps he had an epileptic seizure. Or maybe he had a stroke in the part of the brain that, that makes, that harnesses all of the input and stimuli that comes through the eye and he could no longer see, at least for a while. Or perhaps he was carrying such a burden of guilt for having participated in the murder of Stephen and now on his way to murder some others if he could. Perhaps all of that was just overwhelming and he had a psychological break. And he couldn't go on. Many have had those kinds of experiences. But Saul, he never interpreted that experience as simply a subjective, even biological experience for himself. For Saul, what happened to him on the road to Damascus was an objective experience that embraced the totality of his being. The light that had flashed into his life was the light of the glory of God that he was seeing in the face of the risen Christ. How do you cope with the fact that the man you were convinced was a heretic and a danger to your people, now you come to believe he's the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Israel's Messiah, my own personal Savior and Lord. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, get up, and go into the city, and more will be revealed to you. And Saul was led into the city. In many ways, a broken man, and yet, even though he was blind, was seeing in a new way. How is it that some people have to go blind in order to see? For three days he ate nothing, he drank nothing, he prayed. He knew that a man named Ananias was going to come down, as the Lord had told him, even as the Lord had told Ananias, who did not want to go. Think about an assignment like that. Go down to the house of your enemy who's come to arrest you and to take you in chains and throw you in prison. You go down. And telling that he is a chosen instrument of God. 
to bring the good news, the gospel, to let the light of the word of God shine through him to Gentiles and kings and to my people Israel. The kingdom is getting ready to advance. Saul, get out of the way. I want to give to you a vision that perhaps you never thought you could get. I want to give you a vision that has the power to set you free. And it is the only freedom that there is in this world. It is the freedom that comes from knowing and loving and serving Jesus Christ. And it sets you free not to have to justify yourself by obedience to the law. It sets you free to walk in the Spirit and to grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life. It sets you free for loving and believing and being patient and being filled with the joy of the Lord, whatever the circumstances of your life. This is a freedom that will lead you into a new destiny and to a different place than you ever thought you could be. Let Christ and His light loose in the world. And the result is transformed lives, transformed disciples, a mission-oriented church. And every Sunday we gather in this place. We come, how, we come here because we believe this is a house of light. Even as all places are houses of light, houses of God, where the Word and the Spirit are at work. And the living, resurrected Christ is present. And his light, the light of God, of the glory of God, blinds and heals and gives vision that fills life with meaning and purpose. Shortly after we came back from Israel, I shared the experience that I'd had at Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem church, fourth century church that was built over the place where Jesus was crucified, the mount called Golgotha. We all did pretty much the same thing. We put our hands down that hole that held, that held the cross of Christ. And probably no one could see what was going on with me, but when my hand went into that hole, it was like electricity stirring my soul. And then we walked down those stairs to enter that smaller church, our tomb, built over the tomb of the living Christ. And there we were standing in line waiting to get in with pilgrims from around the world. And just before I entered, and I pointed it out to others, I looked up to the ceiling of that church that was really quite dark. And from a window up above, a huge beam of sunlight was shining and illumining the entrance to that tomb. And as I knelt over to enter that tomb, it was a profound feeling of warmth. And thanksgiving that even within that huge old building that was dark on the inside, the light was shining. And of course it was a sunbeam. But it was more than that to me. 
You ever seen the light? I've thought a lot about that. Talked about it with my spiritual director. He said it was a gift of God, a consolation that you needed at that time in your life. There have been many occasions like that. We all, we stand in a long line of pilgrims who followed Jesus because somewhere along the way we saw a light that humbled us, that broke us, that illumined us, that filled us with new insight and power. It caused me to remember so many Sundays seated over here across these years. At certain times of the years to look up into the side balcony to the Good Shepherd stained glass window. I hope you've had a chance to see that. But there are some Sunday mornings through the year that the sun is just in the right place. And a beautiful beam of colored light comes across this balcony and is almost perfectly reflected on the wall on the other side of the Good Shepherd. And it always reminds me that my life and your life, the life of our church, is held in the arms of the one who came to lay down his life for us, who was raised from the dead and whose Holy Spirit is at work in the world, and that the light is still shining even though the darkness has tried to put it out. It is not. You see, I believe that God has placed us on this south coast of Orange County to be a lighthouse of the gospel. That through here, the light shines, not our own light, but the light of Christ who's alive in us and makes a difference in what we think and what we say and how we live and how we show compassion to one another. The world outside wants to ask us the question, what kind of light are you? Are you contributing to the darkness? Are you contributing to the light? There is much darkness in our world, but thank God there are little colonies of light around this country and around the world through whom the light of Christ is shining. So this morning, we can affirm what the man affirmed in John chapter 9. All I know, he said, is that once I was blind, but now I see. Thanks be to God. Please stand with me and let's affirm our faith. From the Gospel of John, we read responsively, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, 
And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only son who is close to the father's heart who has made him known. So be it, Jesus.
when he was breathing threats, so set against Jesus and his way. There was nothing about Saul that would lead us to expect that you would set your love on him and change his life, that you would use his passionate determination to take your love throughout the world. How grateful we are that you broke into his life. How grateful we are that you break into our lives again and again with your surprising grace. Surprise us again, Lord. Come to all the needy places in our lives and in our world. Let loose your light in us and through us to all the seemingly impossible situations. Bring healing, bring peace, bring reconciliation. This week, as our children and their leaders head for Camp H2O, we pray for your safety. We pray that you will surround them with your grace and your love. In gratitude for all your grace to us, we bring you these gifts, asking that you will use them and that you will use us for your purposes in this world. Even as we pray for the day when your will is done on earth as in heaven, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, is our closing hymn.
Jesus said to his disciples, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that people may see your good works and give glory to God. Go forth to let the light shine in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.